Good morning. Good to see everybody that's here. Acts, the eight chapters we're going to take a look at in just a moment. I want to say uh, thanks to our visitors for being here with us this morning. We're glad that you're here and hope you come back any opportunity that you might have. And if you have any questions in regards to the things that we do, feel free to ask. We're glad to talk to you about, about that. Go ahead and pull up this title here. Learning from the Ethiopian example. We're going to take a look at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And uh, as we give consideration to this this morning, examples they teach us and they illustrate and they also motivate. And so there's three points we're going to give consideration to the importance of examples. And then the Ethiopian example, this particular one here. And then we want to finish by taking a look at Isaiah 53 and then Isaiah 56. I'll go ahead and put up that first point there. The book of Acts is sometimes referred to as the book of conversions. And we are now over into the ninth chapter. And we've gone through Acts chapter 2. And we see the day of Pentecost. And we see the Holy Spirit falling and the apostles preaching on that occasion. And then we also see in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch, and we studied that in class last week. But as you continue on through the book of Acts, you'll come to Acts chapter 10, and there will be the occasion of Cornelius. And you'll come to Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer, and then over in Acts 22, which Brian's referenced this morning, Paul will give more of an account of his actual conversion from Acts the ninth chapter. Taking a look at these examples, they can teach us and they can illustrate and they can motivate uh, as we take a look at these. And they've been preserved for us. And we can see the truth of John the third chapter in these examples here. Jesus told Nicodemus on that particular occasion from John 3, unless you are born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And certainly in the book of Acts, we see that repeated over and over and over again. And so God teaches us. God illustrates that. He provides these examples for us so that we can know of a certainty. And we can examine his word. And then we can see these illustrations. And then we can emulate what they did. So as we give consideration to this this morning, I would just say this by starting. The Lord knew long before we did the power of examples and how they can make a matter plain and how they can motivate us to desire to emulate what they did. I'm going to start this morning by reading from Acts the 8th chapter. I'm going to read verse 36 through 39. This is an example and this is the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Bible example. Now let me say this in regards to examples whenever we give consideration to them. When it comes to examples, we really have a choice. One of two. 
you can take what men say and you can take the examples that they give or you can take what God's word says and the example that is provided and you can make a choice and ask yourself which one of these do I want to follow now I'm not looking to pick a fight with anybody but what I am is encouraging close examination of what God's word says because in these examples and the one we're going to take a look at this morning we're talking about salvation and when we're talking about salvation we're talking about forever we're talking about eternity there is nothing that is of more importance than that so all I'm suggesting is Take a close look at what God's word says and then give consideration to what you were told or what you were taught. And can I find an example of that contained in God's word? So once again, let me give you just kind of an example, an illustration from what is sometimes said with them in the religious world. Sometimes you may hear things like this. You need to pray and acknowledge that you are a sinner and that Jesus is your Savior and that you're inviting Him into your heart to be your Savior. All I'm saying is, then show me the passage that says that. And then show me an example of where that took place. I think that's fair. Now I want to recall from John the 17th chapter before we go any further. The very last night that Jesus was with the apostles and they prayed for them in John 17. You can turn over there and you read that prayer. And Jesus will pray for the apostles and that they might all be one with him. And he will say, Father, as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one in us. And that the world might believe that you sent me. Just like you and I are one, that they might be one in us. One. Just one. I know some 30 years later after Jesus preached that that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians the fourth chapter that there is one Lord there is one faith and there's one baptism. One Lord who is over all and in all and through you all. One. And that there's one faith. We read recently from Acts the first chapter and about verse 8 that Jesus said that they were going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utmost parts of the world. Now what he didn't say was this. Now I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to stick your finger in there. Find out which way the wind's blowing. And then after you get done preaching there I want you to go out into Judea and I want you to do the same thing. Find out which way the wind's blowing. And I just want you to keep doing that in Samaria and to that most part. And everywhere you go, just kind of find out what people want to hear. And then that's what I want you to preach. It's not there. He didn't say that. 
What he did say is don't try this on your own. I want you to go in the city and I want you to wait till the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father comes. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. Because on that same night when Jesus prayed that they might all be one just as He's in the Father and the Father's in Him, He also said, I'm going to send the Spirit to guide you into all truth. And so you go in the city and you wait till the Spirit falls and then He's going to guide you. And we see on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, that the Spirit fell and they preached the gospel for the same time, first time. And that message they preached there that day, that's the same message they carried everywhere. And so that's why Paul says there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And so we have these examples preserved for us in the book of Acts. What they taught. What people did in response to what they taught. And we can look at these. And we can know for certainty what they did. And then we can ask ourselves, is that what I was taught? And is that what I did? So whenever it comes to the subject of being converted to Jesus Christ, becoming a follower of His, then I would just simply ask you to ask yourself these kind of questions. What is it that I read? Or what is it that I was taught about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And when they told me that, did they show me also from His Word? And then based upon that, not only what was I taught or what was I read, what did I believe about that? At that time that I became a Christian or maybe I didn't become a Christian. Did I? What did I believe? And then let me ask you this. What were you taught? What did you believe? And what did you feel? Now let me pause for just a second. I'm not talking about some warm, fuzzy feeling that came over you. When I'm talking about what did you feel... What I'm talking about is the same thing that is stated in Acts, the second chapter, about verse 37. When they came to realize that the one that they had crucified was the Son of God, Peter convinced them they were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sins. What did they feel? They felt guilty. It was my sins that put him there. So I ask you. When you were taught, did you come to the realization the reason he had to die was because of my sins? And then did you ask the same question that they asked on the day of Pentecost when they came to that conviction? They said, what must we do? What do I do? If it was because of my sins that Jesus went to the cross. And then Peter told them what they must do. He said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What was I taught? What did I believe? What did I feel? What should I do? And what was I told? And so that's the choice. Can you point at God's word and say, that's what I did. (laughs) That's what I believed. That's what I felt. And that's when I became a Christian. So the book of Acts is a place where we can examine these conversions. Now, why is it so important that we can go to the book of Acts and we can examine these conversions? And why is it that God has preserved this for us? Well, let me just very simply tell you this. These conversions that are preserved for us here in the book of Acts, do you know that every one of them is under the guidance of an inspired teacher? Ever thought about that? On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. The apostles were inspired to teach this. Inspired men teaching what God would have men to do to be forgiven of their sins and become followers of Jesus Christ, to become Christians. We're going to take a look at Acts chapter 8 in just a minute. Philip is an inspired teacher. And we'll see that every case that is recorded for us, there's an inspired teacher that is leading them and what they must do in order to become Christians. Inspired teaching, inspired examples, preserved for us so that we can examine this and say, does my conversion match these? Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit was going to guide them into all truth. Did he or didn't he? I know from 2 Timothy 3, and we quote this often, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God can be complete Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Did the Holy Spirit guide him into all truth? Paul wrote some 30 years later. Yes, he did. And that we have everything we need. Is that one faith? I know Jude says that we are to contend for the faith that was once for all time delivered to the saints. Not multiple ones. One. And Jude says, fight for that one. Contend for that one. So how do I come to know that faith today? 2 Timothy 2. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Handling right or rightly dividing the word of truth. Can we see that? So why are they preserved? Because these conversions under the guidance of inspired teachers I can take a look at and I can ask myself the same question what was I taught what did I believe what did I feel what was I told to do and does it match this 
if it matches, these are God-approved conversions. And if mine matches these God-approved conversions, then my conversion is God-approved. <laughs> Can we see that? And if it doesn't, then it's not approved by God. And so I have a choice. Will I do it man's way? Or will I do it God's way? You know what God wants? He desperately wants you to do it His way. These examples are infallible guides. Just as sure as God sent His Son to be our Savior, He has revealed how we become citizens of the kingdom, how we become a child of His. I'll give you this illustration before I pass on to the next point. A number of years ago, a number of years ago, as a young man, and as a young Christian, I was working at General Motors. And there was this old guy, I used to think he was an old guy, he's probably about the age I am now. <laughs> an older black gentleman. And how he came to know that I was a Christian, I'm not quite sure. But everybody knew he was because he was proud of it. His name was Timothy Herbie. Never forget. And he would come by and he would say to me, Brother Larry, that's what he always called me. <laughs> Brother Larry, how you doing? And he'd have that big smile. And then we'd talk about the Bible. He loved talking about the Bible. And I was just learning a lot from him. And I can remember him talking about the book of Acts. I can remember him talking about people being converted and so forth. But I remember this most. He would always quote from 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. And he would talk about when the Lord comes. And when he descends with the shout of the archangel and when the trumpet sounds. And then the dead in Christ shall rise first. And that those who are His that are still alive will be called to meet Him in the air. And he'd smile, that big smile he had. And he'd say, Brother he'd say, I'm going to be in that crowd. How do you know you're going to be in that crowd? Because I can read it. I know what they were taught. I know what they believed. I know what they felt. And I know what they were told. And I can point to this and I could say, that's what I believed. That's what I was taught. That's what I felt. And that's what I did. And so, Timothy, I'm going to be in that crowd too. And then he would smile and say, I'll be back. <laughs> and he would go away. Conversions. Preserved. Inspired. For us that teach us, that illustrate, and motivate us to do what they did. But now secondly, just a little longer reading. Verse 26 through verse 36. This is the encounter of Philip with this Ethiopian eunuch. Beginning at verse 26. 
Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, unto Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now when they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 26. He's an Ethiopian. He's a treasurer. He's an official to the queen. And he's a eunuch. And he's been to Jerusalem to worship. It's interesting. As you take a look at this context. And you see Luke, who's an inspired writer, because we just said a moment ago, all scriptures given by inspiration, right? So Luke, by inspiration, has written and recorded this for us. And he just gives this description of this man, preserved for us. He's an Ethiopian. He's a treasurer. He's an official to the queen. And he's a eunuch. Four more times in this context. Luke will refer to this man every time, every time, without exception. You know how he'll refer to him? As the eunuch. Out of that entire description, by inspiration, Every time Luke refers to him from here on, it's the eunuch. Now most commentators, most writers would tell you that this man was not Jewish by lineage or by heritage. He was as some would refer to him that he was God-fearing. He had been influenced by the Jews and by their God. 
as is evident from having a strong enough commitment to make the journey all the way from Ethiopia clear to Jerusalem in order to worship. Desiring to worship their God. But Luke says repeatedly, he was a eunuch. Now according to Deuteronomy, the 23rd chapter, because he was a eunuch, he would not be allowed in the inner courts of the temple. He would have to stay away. So when he went there to worship, he couldn't even get to the inner courts where the other Jewish men were. He wasn't allowed in there. He would be considered a foreigner. He would be considered an outsider. And on top of all that, He's a eunuch. There's mutilation. There's a defect. You are not on the same level with all these other Jewish men. Don't ever forget it. Now then Acts, the 8th chapter, about verse 5 and then verse 12. And recalling what has taken place in Acts chapter 7. Here's Philip, who has previously been down in Samaria. And he has gone to Samaria and he's been preaching down there and he's having great success down there. And there's a lot of folks down there. And he's teaching them and they are believing what he's teaching them and they are becoming Christians. So where do you think God would want him? Well, there's lots of folks here, lots of people to talk to, and you're preaching the gospel, so just stay right there. But then verse 26, uh-uh. I want you, an angel, calls Philip. I want you on the road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. This is desert. What do you think Philip thought? Wait a minute. I'm having pretty good success here. Philip doesn't say anything. Philip just goes. And we're told specifically this is desert. And what it means is just this is just kind of deserted area. There's nobody out there. I've been preaching here, have pretty good success, but you want me to go out there where there's nobody? Yeah. And so he goes. And then about verses 27 through 29, you find out why he goes. Because when he arrives there, he encounters one man. One man. Riding in his chariot. But, he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit tells Philip, you go join him. I want to remind you once again before we press on. Philip was one of those guys that was chosen back in Acts chapter 6. Remember that? And that after he was one of the seven that was chosen, the apostles laid their hands on them. 
And I know from what's recorded in Acts 6 and Acts 7 and Acts 8, Stephen and Philip are the two out of that seven that are specifically mentioned. And that they were preaching and that they were teaching and they also worked miracles. And we know from the Scriptures that when someone is working miracles, that's evidence that the Spirit is with them and it's God approved, right? So that's Philip. And he's been preaching and he's performed miracles and he's done it there in Jerusalem and he's gone and done it down in Samaria and now God by the angel calls him, tells him to head towards Gaza and then now the Spirit comes and says, go join that chariot. The man that Luke constantly refers to as the eunuch. And he's been in Jerusalem. But isn't it kind of interesting? He wasn't converted in Jerusalem. Did you notice that? He left Jerusalem. He's headed back home. We do know what's been going on in Jerusalem. Because we've read Acts 7, right? There's been a whole lot of persecution that's been going on in Jerusalem. And now here's this eunuch that has traveled all the way from Ethiopia clear up to Jerusalem so that he might worship. Do you think there's any possibility that he may have heard about all this turmoil that's going on in Jerusalem? There's no doubt in my mind. He's heard about all this turmoil. And the God of the Jews that you have come to worship, and now there's this division among the Jews, and there's this upheaval, and there's this uproar, and what's that all about? Well, there's this man by the name of Jesus. And he claimed to be the Messiah. The one that they have waited for for centuries. But he was rejected. And the people were stirred up against him. And eventually the Jews got the Romans to crucify him. But after they crucified him, he was buried and on the third day he came forth from the grave. And now you've got these people going around telling everybody that he was the Messiah and that he was resurrected and you've got these followers. Think it's unreasonable that he may have heard any of that? I think it's totally reasonable. So in verse 26, an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip and says, Go to that road that is desert. And in verse 29, the Spirit says, Go and join that chariot. Now I've got to ask you another question. Why the angel of the Lord? And then why the Spirit? I would suggest this. That frequently in the Old Testament, an angel of the Lord was the means of guiding individuals. But now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is the dominant instrument in guiding individuals. That's Acts 1. Go into the city and wait 
That's John 16. I'm going to send the Spirit. And so together, you have the guidance of Philip, and then you have the salvation of this eunuch. He's reading from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And you know what Isaiah talks about? He talks about the Messiah. Isaiah is known as the Messianic prophet. There is no prophet in the Old Testament that talks more about the Messiah than Isaiah. And where is he reading from? The book of Isaiah. And an angel of the Lord tells Philip, I need you to go to the road that leads down to Gaza. And then when he gets there, it's the Holy Spirit that tells him, go join that chariot. And he's reading from Isaiah. Isn't that the old combined with the new? It's exactly what that is. And so now, Philip being inspired is going to sit in that chariot and he's going to tell him the fulfillment of those prophecies and the promises that Isaiah makes. There's no mistaking it. God intended to save this individual. He had been to the holy city. He had been to the holy place. He had been to the temple. But that wasn't what was going to save him. I don't believe that it's an accident that it's as he's leaving Jerusalem that an angel calls and the Spirit sends Philip go join him. I want you to explain to him what he's reading. Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 56. In Isaiah 53 in verse 7 Isaiah 53 at verse 7 He was oppressed and he was afflicted Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. So Philip joins the chariot. And it must have thrilled him when he heard that he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And I think it's highly likely that he heard a lot of stories while he was in Jerusalem. And he heard talk about the Messiah. And he heard talk about Jesus' claims. And I feel it's reasonable to think because he is a devotee that he probably thought to himself, I need to investigate this. I need to know more about this. Where is it that I can learn more about this Messiah? You need the book of Isaiah. But you know what? They didn't have these. You know what they had? They had scrolls. 
And those scrolls weren't as readily available as our Bibles are today. Not everybody had a scroll. Not everybody could afford a scroll. Not everybody could read a scroll. But what do you have in this man? You have a man who can afford it. You have a man who can read it. You have a man who can investigate it. But Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, I need help. (laughs) How can I unless someone guide me? And isn't it interesting that as he's on his way back home, you know how far it is from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia? It's about a thousand miles. It's probably going to take him a month to get home. He's going to have plenty of time to think about the prophet Isaiah and to read it and to investigate it. And so he's reading from Isaiah the 53rd chapter. Do you think he just opened that scroll to there? <laughs> no, they were rolled up. I have a good idea or feeling. He's probably been reading it from the beginning. And there he is. Now he's at the 53rd chapter. Verse 7 and 8 when Philip joins him. Do we just think that's all coincidence? I don't think so. And he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Tell me. Who's he talking about? Himself or someone else? And so Philip joins him. You know, a lot of times in our Bible classes, whenever we're taking a look at a section of Scripture, one of the things we oftentimes say is, well, you've got to get the context. (laughs) So you read some verses before that, and you read some verses after that, and that gives you the context of what's going on there. So he's reading Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verse 7 and 8. Do you think there's any possibility? I don't know this for a fact, but I think it's reasonable once again. Do you think there's any possibility Philip might have said... Let's get the context. You want it? Let's back up. And let's read verses 3 through 6. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Wait a minute. This was the Messiah? Someone of high position? And he was rejected? Do you think that rang a bell at all with this Ethiopian? I'm kind of a big deal holding a high position. I also know what it's like to be rejected. Surely he has borne our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All 
We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Philip? You a Jew? Are you included in that? Yeah, I'm in there. He died for my sins. And he died for mine too? Yeah, yours too. Both of us. He died for both of us. Wow. And in Acts 8 and verse 35, it says, beginning at that place, Philip preached Jesus to him. And he had asked the question, who does he speak of? Himself or someone else? And Philip preaches Jesus, the Messiah. The one who was despised and rejected. The one who was a king. But he took our place. And it's by his stripes that we are healed. What did he read? Right here from God's word. What did he believe? I know what he believed. Because it's recorded for us in the book of Acts, the 8th chapter, what he did. Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Back to the book of Acts. Verse 38. So he, that's the eunuch. He commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. You think the fact that Philip disappeared had an impact on this guy? (laughs) Yeah, I just witnessed a miracle. This man, he came, he sat, he talked, he taught me. I realized what I need to do and then he disappeared. Yeah. Despised and rejected. You think he could identify with that? But through his stripes, my transgressions are healed. And Philip would have told him, yeah, that's for you. And that's for me. But you want to know what else? I'm convinced that Philip told him. I'm convinced Philip probably said, you know what? You're reading Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. Let's read verse 3 through 6. And oh, by the way, let me show you something else. Scroll on down a little further. I want you to get to what we refer to as the 56th chapter. And I'm going to read you verses 4 through 8. And I want you to listen real close to this, what I'm going to tell you. So beginning in verse 4. 
For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs, what? (laughs) To the eunuchs, who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. What do you think he felt then? Philip, I'm just like you. (laughs) And no longer will I be an outcast. No longer will I have to stand in the outer courts. No, you're invited right in. You got a seat at the table. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We're all the same. That's for the eunuch. That's for the outcast. That's for the foreigner. We're all the same. Never again. Never again will you stand in the outer courts. Never again will you be an outcast. Never again will you have to look up at others and go, oh, they're true children of God, but I'm kind of a lesser one. (laughs) No, you're the same. It's just like what Paul said over in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter in about verse 20. In Christ Jesus, all the promises of God are yes. Yes, it's for you. So now do you see why when Luke introduces him, he's an Ethiopian. He's a treasurer. He's a high official. But he's a eunuch. And from there on, every time he makes reference to him, he calls him the eunuch. And then in verse 38, they come to the water and he says, here's water, what hinders me? And Philip says, if you believe, you may. And they went down into the water and he baptized him and they came up out of the water. And then what's it say? The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Can we see that? That's the example of the Ethiopian union. I'm going to extend the invitation this morning. It was Jesus himself who says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that disbelieves shall be condemned. So these have been preserved for us. 
inspired conversions under the direction of inspired men so that we can take a look at what we were taught, what we believed, what we felt, and what we were told, and what we did in becoming a child of God. The invitation is yours. We encourage you to follow it. While together we stand and while we sing.